Coming up on episode 187 of Wheelbearings, we've got some big show news to share. But first, we talk about our driving impressions of the Lincoln Aviator Black Label, Chevrolet Bolt, Toyota Camry TRD, Nissan Titan Pro 4X, and Cadillac Escalade. We talk about battery developments from GM and LG, and the Jeep Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. As usual, we finish up with some questions and our announcement. That's all ahead on episode 187 of Wheelbearings. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is Wheelbearings. I am Dan Roth from Forbes. I'm Sam Abuol Samich from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, we're driving cars. Um, I, you know what? I'm going to go first. I'll take all the mystery out of it. Good for you. So I had the uh, Lincoln Aviator Black Label this week, and uh, I also had the Chevrolet Bolt. So let's start with the Black Label. The Aviator is a really beautiful klutz. Um, that car is lovely inside. In my last experience with the Aviator, I think I, I also had a Black Label, and I felt the same way. It's just really nicely styled. Both inside and out, the materials are really good. It feels luxurious. I absolutely despise the uh, 30,000-way seats that are impossible to get comfortable in, um, although they massage you, which is a thing. I do love those massaging seats. My 13-year-old would get in the car, <laughs> thing. And, and he's just he will jump in and he'll start hitting the screen. I'll be like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, I want a massage. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then he's like, here, turn mine on. I'm like, I don't want a massage right now. Like, <laughs> Awesome. I'm like, what did I do? Like, you got to switch it to the passenger one. But he, he likes that. <clears throat> and and just watching him navigate the sync uh, system was kind of interesting, too. Because um, they don't really make it easy to get at that setting, which surprised me. You have to, like, go through three different – got to swipe three times to get the well, seats. Actually, and, you know the easiest way to get to the massage setting? Probably a voice. If you just, no, just reach down on the side and hit the, uh, the button for the uh, lumbar inflator, and it'll bring that up on the screen. Oh. What, at this – did it have them on the side or was it on the door? I don't even remember. Yeah. Uh, no, it's on the side, on the side of the seat. Okay. On the on the outside of the seat. Yeah. So anyway, Lincoln seats. I don't like those Lincoln seats. I, they're not comfortable, for me. You're just broken, Dan. I I, I am both physically and emotionally. You're, you're, you must be shaped like Quasimodo. I mean, I, I don't see how you There's couldn't no, find no, a position there. it's just, you know what it is? It's one of those things. And like Rebecca was talking about a while ago with her chiropractor, it's that like the, where the head restraint is, even when you back it off, they've figured out that you can back it off and and they have an adjustment that tilts the top of the seat back, back away again Mm -hmm. as well. All of those are okay, but I just, 
maybe there's just too many settings. I don't know. In this platform, and even in the the larger, you know, the Expedition and um, uh, Navigator, I like the Ford seats better because they're just they're more basic and a little bit more limited, but they they wind up being more comfortable. So maybe there is too much of a good thing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so, That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 the tyranny of choice. You know, when you, when you do have that many adjustments possible, it it can be there there probably you probably could find a comfortable position, but you you end up trying so many different permutations that you end up just getting frustrated. Yeah, I didn't I, I'm not a fan. And just like, you know, even that the the like the lower cushion how the it's split, so like you can, yeah. you never have exactly the same support you, under your left leg as you do yeah. under your right. If you, well, that's that's you know, in case one thigh is longer than the well, other. Well, you know, like, honestly, humans aren't symmetrical, so no, it's, it's true. I, I'm, I'm, it's probably makes good sense when you think about it. you should get it dialed in just right, but I, the amount of time and then you I hit have, the memory button yeah. and you never touch it again, or you hit the memory button, you you it like you don't do it right and it programs it back to like whoever had it before which inevitably powers seat back like a foot and leans the thing all that's, the way back. Yeah. Like, I'm just, that's I my do favorite that. and all i can oh. picture is i'm doing like driving along doing the white man's overbite from yeah. <laughs> when harry met sally <laughs> i just yeah so me and these seats don't get along the rest of the car is you know it's comfortable it's beautiful inside like i said the the interior design i like how lincoln has staked out its own territory it has its own look and feel it's a little glitzy, which I think it, it kind of should be to a degree. You know, it has has enough of that that classic Lincoln, like mid century sort of bright work and and look and feel. But the materials are really nice. The design is nice. Um, the accommodations are are nice, although uh, it's I don't know the cargo area. If you use the third row. It's one of those cars that has it has three rows, but you either have to choose people or stuff, or 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 you know leave one. Yeah, I mean, you, if you if you've got six people in there, you're definitely not going to have enough room for six people's stuff. Right. Um, so the unfortunate thing with the black label uh, or with the Aviator overall, you know, the, the black label is is sort of the, the nicest one. So I'd like to try one that's not a black label to see what the real difference is in in practice, but. Uh, the unfortunate thing about the Aviator is that it doesn't really live up to its promise of being on a rear-wheel drive architecture in terms of a premium feel. It, it feels premium until you drive it, and it doesn't have that like premium driving experience. And I don't know if it was because of the 22-inch wheels or what, but it just feels clumsy. It, it doesn't ride as good as I would expect it to, especially with air suspension, and it doesn't handle crisply either. Like it's just, I, I, is it, it? Is it like like? Um, it's. I mean, it sounds like it's just not very sharp. It sounds like it's kind of sloggy almost. It it's sloggy. There it is. There's our word again. Um, it's <laughs> is just, that word? <laughs> it's got plenty of power. It has this has the three liter uh, EcoBoost V6, which we'll be seeing. It's now. Not an EcoBoost if it's in I'm a Lincoln. Sorry, what is it? Uh, it's just uh, a GTD twin turbo G- GTDI. Sure. Uh, well, but it's going to be in the You're such um, a geek sometimes. The, uh, the <laughs> what, they just came out with the Explorer, well, the Explorer uh, SXT or something, right? That's yeah. going to have. Well, I mean, you know, Lincoln Lincoln explicitly changed that a couple of years ago to help separate Lincoln from Ford. Mm. Yeah, you know, it is. It, I mean, it is an EcoBoost 
V6. Right. Um, and, you know, you can find the same engine in Ford vehicles, but they just don't brand it as EcoBoost if it's in a Lincoln. But GTDI is not, you can't brand an acronym, right? I like, know. So they should have called it Twin Force or something. And I think we've said yeah, this before. Yeah, well, actually, <laughs> Which b- is what before was, there was EcoBoost, yeah. that's what they, the, if you remember back 2008 the, yeah. uh, or 2007, the MKR concept. They called they originally that was the first time they talked about, you know, these twin turbo direct injected V sixes before it came out, you know, as EcoBoost a couple of years later. And they called it Twin Force. Yeah. And that, that yep. would be a great uh, name for Lincoln to use. I remember seeing the MKR at, I think triplets uh, would be offended though. You think you think triplets would be offended? <laughs> oh I mean it's sorry. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm trying to come up with I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it just doesn't, you know, like it costs, it, it costs like an X5. It, it on paper, appears to compete with it. It certainly does visually and materials-wise inside, but it just, it doesn't drive right. It just, I, I don't know, something about it just doesn't feel, feel like dynamically pleasing to me. Were there different modes? There were. Uh, There's like eco mode and excite mode. Uh, okay. Uh, and then, oh, okay. And excite really? I mean, I'm just thinking of them. Of them. Well, again, it's not a Lincoln, but the Mach E. You know, there were such distinctive differences in the modes in that. And but I overall, yeah, I don't think it, that I don't think manufacturers do a good job of making those different modes really distinctive. Like they're I mean, rarely significant. You know, give, given what they have to work with, there's not actually a whole lot they usually can do mm-hmm. to really make them that different. I think if you get you, know, you can change the become weighting of the steering effort, yeah. you know, and you know, change the you know the shift timing, and that's really about it. And that's really yeah. about what, like that's what Excite Mode did is it, it lowered shift points and wouldn't give you upper gears until you hit a certain uh, you know, miles per hour mm-hmm. speed. It felt a little more aggressive. I think it actually tightened up the air springs a little bit too, um, or, yeah. or the damping, um, either or or both. I, but it made it a little bit more responsive. But what I really wanted was a ride that was more compliant, and and handling that was it, it's it's it just felt like a handful to to drive down a curvy road. You know, even in excite mode, like it just weight transfer was weird, and the big wheels. You know, you could feel all that mass moving around and just not. It was just a lot. Yeah, it, it just, sounds like it was a lot. It, like it wasn't fun to drive. Yeah, at it was all. not fun to drive. And and I kind of, you know, I, I missed out on, on my expectation of it being sort of fun to drive because they made a big deal about it being you know rear wheel drive based chassis it's, that should be. It's better. funny. You know, when I um, when I did the, the launch drive in the aviator and you did too, Rebecca out in California, out in Napa. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, it did not feel like that to me. I know. I and, don't recall. And I've driven one here since then. You know, it's been, it's been probably a year and a half since I drove one. Um, but you know, it, it did not have that, that kind of feeling that you're describing. So I wonder if there was something out of sorts with your particular vehicle. Maybe I mean, was- could the tires, the larger tires, have that much? Yeah, I I do I, wonder if it was the the twenty twos on you know in the winter in New England on yeah, crappy roads, be. but because I've I've driven it on the twenty two, I've driven the black label on the twenty twos. I think we drove you know, them in Napa, didn't? Yeah, they, yeah, right. Yeah, and the second leg, I think we had them. Yeah, I definitely don't recall having that sort of sloggy 
feeling of like, I've got a lot of truck behind me. Yeah. It just, it was no fun. It was no fun to manhandle, which kind of mm. made me a little. How sick. many miles were on it? I'm just curious, like how many people you think have driven it? Uh, it's been around the block. I think it had over 10,000 on it. So that's, <gasps> wow. but that's not. That's a like, lot of press miles. I mean, it is, it is, but the nice thing about that is that it's press miles. So that tends to confuse the any any algorithmic stuff that's going on right <laughs> uh, but it also tends to break them in really well because the the drivers are so varied uh, yeah so you do get to sort of see how a car is going to settle in but that many miles it kind of reminds me of a rental car right yeah. you know when they say like if you get a rental car with ten thousand miles it's more like having twenty thousand miles on it yeah you know and i'm granted the car that we are privileged to drive should be well taken care of and should be you know maintained and and all the wear parts. They know, usually replaced. are until they get to Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Where's Lucy? Uh, Sorry, Lucy. Was, I have no complaints about that. Um, the, it's, it was in. It generally doesn't really matter the mileage. They're all always in in good shape. You know, the, the companies do sort of make sure that they're paying the fleets to maintain them, and the fleets do a good job. But the uh, the experience. I don't know. I. I'd have to try it again and, and, and really see, but I, I didn't find it as pleasing behind the wheel as I was hoping, you know. Um, too bad. So, so what do you think of the bolt? So the bolt. Did uh, you just have the regular bolt? I did have the regular bolt. I thought for, uh, for a minute it was the bolt EUV, but it was, it was just just, quote unquote, the regular bolt, <laughs> which is, you know, I had a, a little bit of an interesting experience with it because it, it got here and I didn't have a chance to charge it. So the... The fleet facilities are ways away. They're, um, so it got here and it had about 130 miles of range on it. And I needed to run to the office on uh, one day last week and I had the bolt and I, I needed to get there fast. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of had a high average speed and that ate quite a bit of power. Um, and and I, how far is the office? The I know office it. is 45 miles one way. So I okay. did 90 miles round trip. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it uh, it ate a lot of fuel. But the the funny thing too is, when it got to me, its uh, average energy consumption was like two point six uh, kilowatts Ooh. per mile, which is not that's good. that that's low for a bolt. That's really low, right? And so even driving like an animal, that is now at like I think it's about two point nine or three miles per kilowatt. Or three kilowatts per two point nine or three yeah. kilowatts per mile, which is is better. Like it was going up even as I was driving it rather aggressively. Um, <laughs> but you know the Bolt on the other hand is another. It's like one of those cars that you don't expect it to drive well, but it it actually does. I really love the way they've tuned it. The the chassis guys did a fantastic job. It's it's actually fun to drive. It's very responsive. It doesn't have Machi power like we talked about the last uh, mm-hmm. episode, but it it's definitely got enough. Uh, punch to get you in and out of any situation you really you're going to find yourself in it's it's pretty well disciplined you do feel the weight of the batteries when you're when you're pushing it but uh it's it's nicely done and it's just a good car to drive Uh, so i I liked that about it quite a bit i know there's been complaints about the seats i don't really have a problem with the seats i can understand how they feel a little thin and crappy to some people the the backrests i think is is probably a bone of contention um because when when I bend it into curves a little uh, with a little bit of speed, you can sort of feel where the padding ends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and like, oh yeah, I can see how that would be annoying. 
Um, but no, it's it's a great car. And then the next day, I still I had to do like the school round trips and and dance class drop off and stuff. So I got back here and I had like forty miles of range. And so I did the school drop off round trip. So that's twenty miles. Uh, and I you know plugged it in. I only have one ten. So it wound up like I did the rest of the day with a max of like twenty miles of range on it and each trip was 10 miles out 10 miles back roughly so i sort of discovered that really like you can get by with about 50 miles of electric range most of the time if you're not doing something stupid like driving 90 miles back and forth to an office every day uh it it was it was fine like it it did get a little upset with me the last sort of the last trip out and back it was it it was blinking the battery indicator at me and it's like <laughs> performance reduced and i was like uh, if i don't make it i'm just gonna make a phone call and uh wait for my wife to come rescue me i'm just across town but yeah well i think you know it takes uh it takes a change in mentality to drive an ev you know we've talked about it before but i i think i mentioned you know somebody said to me it's like it's like driving with your low fuel light warning light on all the time <laughs> a little bit right yeah, yeah. Uh, i yeah. think that was i think that was true you know when we were talking like the first generation leaves right. and things like that right you know, that had exactly. 75 miles of range yeah yeah you know, that's less true now well, well i know it was now, now he was just driving true. with his you know this time you know he's got a car that could go as far as any normal car but he was just driving it around with the low fuel light on all yeah, the time well, it was, I, I, <laughs> literally and you know i thought about like on on friday i think it was friday just taking it in to the the commuter rail station just just a couple miles away and just like sticking it on the the level two and i just didn't um but that would that would top it up quick it's it's now been on the the 110 charger for about a about two days uh it says it'll be done on tuesday <laughs> <laughs> and it's sunday <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i'll, I'll, I'll take think, it in you know tomorrow probably i'll just take it and plug it in for a while i think you know i've always said that that range anxiety is really a misnomer it's really recharging anxiety it's how long is this thing going to take to recharge You know, that's I mean, and especially now, like with, you know, a lot of vehicles having 300 or 350 miles of range, it's more that just like, where am I going to charge it? That uncertainty and how long is it going to take to charge? Because I know like when I had the Mach-E, you know, it was going to be four hours at the public charger that I found and it was 19 degrees outside. I'm not going to sit there. So, you know, that's more of the issue. But I still think that. It does for somebody to actually buy an EV, it does require a change in mentality. It does require moving beyond the familiar and saying that this is this is how you know I want to I want to take on this perceived risk um, or make these adjustments yeah. to, you know, whether it's committing to putting in a, a charging station at home, which is basically a gas station. You know, like nobody has a gas station at home because they're all over the place and it takes five minutes. Right. And so that's where as we continue to evolve the infrastructure and and the charging, my favorite thing still are those robots that Volkswagen is <laughs> developing where it comes to your car so you can park anywhere. The little guy comes to your car, boo, do, 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 done. Goes back to his house. Yeah. You know, I love that. <laughs> well, except I mean, those are designed, you know, for parking garages, not not to necessarily you know drive down the street to wherever you are, but rather <clears throat> when you're in a parking garage, 
Um, you know, so they'll have a, a dock where those things are when they're not in use, they'll be sitting there plugged in, charging up, and then they'll come to your car um, and plug in and, and recharge your car while yeah. you're parked. I wasn't thinking of it like on the fly refueling like they're two, you know, military jets. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. But but if you think about like at at a grocery store or something, mm-hmm. you know, having those same kinds of of charging yeah. banks like that, it, it takes, it adds to the convenience factor because, because right now people perceive charging as an inconvenience, yeah, right? And, and so I, gas is a pain, but it's only a five minute pain. Charging is, you know, a lot longer than that. Well, and that's sort of, you know, one of the things I spent some time doing was like, okay, well, where's the nearest DC fast charging that, you know, I, I could see how the, the, the bolt does on that. Uh, but they're like 40, man, not 40, like 25 miles away is the nearest Electrify America or um, uh, EVgo, uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, stations. And, you know, it's funny, like I went to the office. I knew I had plenty of charge to get there and, and to, to sort of hammer down to get there. It's like, eh, if I run out of charge on the way home, fine, whatever. Uh, so I sort of had to make that mental calculation, too. Like, did I need to go and do this thing that's important? Um and then I'll figure out the rest of everything right. after. Um, but if I were spending more time at the office, like I know that, you know, our office is pretty close to in, in Chestnut Hill. There's the mall in Chestnut Hill and there's, there's mm-hmm. chargers right over there. The last time I was there, they've installed um, charging, uh, a charging station in the parking lot over there. So I could just plug the car in there and let it top up for a while and, and be okay. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't at the office long enough. It was basically just go and drop stuff and leave. Um, but that kind of like, you start to think about that, like where are the charging stations and, and are they high speed or low speed? And, and what can the car do? Can the car do high speed or low speed? You know, how fast can I get the most energy into this thing? So you have to know your hardware a little bit. Yeah. That's different. And that'll eventually change or you won't really need to care about it. But for now, well, and you know, the thing is something like the bolt, you know, with a 259 mile range, you know, I think what you experience shows that, you know, you know, 200, you know, I mean, you only had half of the range to start with, mm-hmm. you know, if with 250 miles of range, you know, you can basically do whatever you need to do. Okay. And for most situations, you know, most people drive less than 30 or 40 miles a day, you know, you plug it in at night, you're going to be topped up. You're going to be full all the time. Right. And you're generally never going to have a problem. Well, that was kind so, of what I wanted to prove to myself on, on Friday as well was like, look, I've got. I started off the day with like 30 or 40 miles of range. And by the end of the day, it had gone down a little bit. But every time I came back from whatever I was doing, I was plugging it back in. So I spent most of the day with 20 miles of range on the car. And everything I needed to do was within a 20 mile, you know, out and back range. So I was like, you you really don't need as much range as as you, you might feel a sense of comfort with. But it's it's mostly to just make your feelings better <laughs> yeah well and you know you, you also have to factor in you know i mean right now uh you know if if it was three or four weeks ago when the temperatures were a lot colder <clears throat> that's and you were using the heat yeah you would have been you probably would have come back from your office you know pretty much empty that's true i did make sure yeah. that i was not running i, I did shut off yeah. the hvac i was like it's warm enough it's been sitting in the sun i don't don't need it yeah my two biggest critiques of the bolt was one pedal driving kind of sucks in it because you have to actually pull the paddle. And so it makes it less smooth than it otherwise would be. Cause you got to sit there and tinker with the paddle to 
adjust your decel for one pedal driving and um the a pillar mm, hit not an, really an entire f-250 <laughs> at one point i almost i almost head on into a truck um i was on a curvy back road and all of a sudden just the way the a pillars are with a little quarter window and stuff i just I was like i'm just gonna go over to the side of the road here because i i don't know what's coming around this curve and and it took a little while for me to see the giant pickup emerge mm. from the side uh so yeah the but the one pedal driving i couldn't it's not like you have a, a b mode or something that that yeah hard. there is if you put it you have to put it in low on it's, you had a 2020 so it's got the shifters. You have, if you put it in low, it gives yeah. you the one pedal mode. But like, okay, I because it mimics like a a, um, a low range on the transmission. I didn't get the same impression. Like I, I thought that that's not the same. So I guess yeah, no. It's ba- basically, all putting it in low does is, <clears throat> is um, you know, it just enables the one pedal driving mode. Yeah. Um, okay. so if you're in drive, you're not going to get the heavy regen ex- unless you use the paddle. If you put it in low, you get the, the heavy regen without touching the paddle. Okay. I'll have to go play with that and just but see the, how it is. The, the, the new, the 2022s, the, the new ones that are coming out now, they get rid of that shift lever and they go to push button shift and there's a separate one pedal switch. And if you press the one pedal switch, that's, that's all you got to do. And then it actually remembers that each time you start the vehicle. So once you press it, it'll stay engaged every time you drive it until you pre- until you turn it off. Okay, because like I like having the manual control, but also sometimes I just want it to be smooth. Because you get to the point where you can anticipate and you know where to let off and and regen yourself. When you to a stop. when you do have it in in lower the, the one pedal mode, it actually is very smooth. Okay, you can modulate it very easily. I'll go fiddle with that then. Yeah. Rebecca, what yes. have you been wheeling around the wilds <laughs> of uh, Greenwich and uh, the Merritt Parkway, which you mention all the time? So I got a chance to drive the 2021 Toyota Camry TRD with a V6 engine in it. And it was actually a lot of fun. I was really pleasantly surprised. I it's not that I don't like the Camry. I just, I feel like I like the Accord a little bit better if I have to choose, but this thing was a riot. It was also this really cool, like they call it ice edge. It was this gray, you know, that really cool, like a Kia stinger gray. That's like a, like the cement kind of like a pale gray. Yeah. It's like the China blue gray. Yeah. It's a really, but this was a lighter shade. It was really beautiful. And then it had blackout, rims and trim had a little cute little fin and it was just they just did a really really nice job on the styling and it's sort of the 3.5 liter kind of it just brings back that that sort of souped up toyota feel uh, that is missing i think from things like the regular camry and so you know dan you were talking earlier about ride and handling and stuff this thing really delivered it was a riot i mean there, there was, it, it was also very pure driving because the infotainment system suck. And so <laughs> <laughs> I tried. So you just to had to focus with, on the driving. Oh my, I had to, cause I had, I tried to focus on the end tune. I tried to do the end tune thing that didn't work. It didn't have Android auto. So I never had, it didn't have the navigation downloaded. It was only this car had like 500 miles on it. So um, it was really one of the newer ones, obviously, but you know, in some ways I was like, okay, fine, whatever. 
it was just fun to drive though. I mean, it really, really was. And I got a chance to put, I probably put about 150 miles on it, which is a lot for me lately. Yeah. Uh, and so it was just, it, it was just great. And, you know, there was a good amount of room in it. it. It was really quite roomy. It was easy to get in and out of. We've, we've spoken a lot lately about, you know, different size people and different size cars. And this one, you know, the Camry, the A-pillar is well-positioned. Visibility is really good. It was just, it was a little bit stripped down from, you know, the creature comfort standpoint. I don't believe it had heated seats. And if it did, I couldn't find them. Uh, it didn't have any of the, you know, didn't have a heated steering wheel. It does. Again, it didn't yeah, have it doesn't, nav. Like, doesn't mention heated seats. It, they are sport soft hex trimmed front seats with red seat belts, stitching and it, fabric inserts. Yes. So no heated seats. It says that it has Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, but we've talked about this before. This one did not. I will say for $32,000 plus another $500 for the two-tone midnight black metallic roof and rear spoiler. So, And then with our famous delivery processing and handling fee of $9.95, you get up to $33,680. Right? I think is was... I think it's a lot for this car, but at the same time, it was really, really fun I, to drive. If it was yeah. 5000 less, I'd be all over it. I don't know. I think that's a lot of car for the money. You know, it's the V6. That V6 is punchy. It It's the uh, TNGA platform, which is decent to drive. It's a lot of styling. It's a <laughs> yes. lot of styling. It's kind of it's shouty not looking. a lot of creature comforts. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, true. You know, a seven-inch touchscreen is not that big and it's all it's this awful black and red it, it reminds me of dos like it's just <laughs> I like, like dos i like <laughs> command line you know like <laughs> like uh, you yeah. know so staring at that all week i was like oh whatever but so but again it, it what was fun about it is it did it did bring me back to my roots it, it is all about you know just driving and and that's what it was about so from that standpoint, it was very fun, but there are a lot of vehicles in that price point that give you all that fun and all that ride and handling and twisties and all that good stuff and heated seats and a decent infotainment system I'm and technology. Of, I'm thinking of one right now, actually, um, and that would be the, the Kia K5. Exactly. Yes. 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 And the K5 comes with the sounds of nature. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just I think that the the K five feels more luxurious. It go, it drives probably just as athletic. I was really yeah. impressed oh, with it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, um, it's maybe not as as quick. Yeah, that that Toyota V six is a great engine. It is a great engine. It, it absolutely is, and I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it. It, it was <laughs> great, great fun. I just. You know, I think I'm just spoiled and and kind of bratty, and that I, I, I agree. want yeah. a nav system. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, what do you think was the problem there? Was it just that it did, didn't have the the right firmware or something? Or yes, I I think that it just hadn't been properly um, prepped and downloaded and such. So because again, like I I didn't even have a map. I didn't have anything, and so I had Sirius XM and AM and FM, but. It, it just it was it was like half of an infotainment system. And again, you know, we run into this, this quite like a bit. Right. So I would be like curious. It was half of an infotainment system. <laughs> I would be curious, though, of if other people have 
if any of our listeners or any of their friends have this Camry TRD, because the V6 engine was fantastic, but I would be curious what the infotainment system is like on, you know, actually working. Because the last Camry I had did have working Android Auto. Uh, And, you know, this this is usually more of a problem you know, a lot of the times the, the vehicles in the press fleet are pre-production models. You know, they're, they're pilot vehicles, you know, right. and they're, you know, they're ones that were built before they get the okay to, to ship to dealers. Um, and so, you know, we do see some of these glitches in there. But, you know, the Camry, you know, has basically been around for a couple of years, you know, in its current generations, I think three years now. Um, so, you know, there, yeah. there shouldn't be any issues like that. There should not be. You're right. And again, it only had about, I think it had about 400 miles on it, maybe 450. Because then I, when they took it, it had just over, I just rolled the 600 mark on it. But yes, I, you know, but I think we've talked about Entune, not fans anyway. Yeah. You know, that's that's a given. Right. So, but I do think that it was missing some kind of almost like standard equipment now, which is heated seats and even perhaps a heated steering wheel, but it had, you know, all the other ADAS systems, the lane keep assist and everything. But most importantly, it had that 3.5 liter V6. Yeah. I mean, for, <laughs> for what it's worth, you know, m- many of the other trim levels of the Camry do have heated seats and steering. Oh wheel. yes, they do. Oh, it, they do. And, and it's actually not unusual for a sport model like this, like the TRD right. to, you know, drop some of those features. Um, yes. You know, I mean, when we were, when we were shopping for our Civic a few years ago, you know, they have, you know, and the Civic hatchback, they have the, the Sport and then the, you know, they have the LX as the base model, the Sport, and then the EX and the Touring. And the Sport, you know, was based on the, the base LX. And so it didn't have the heated seats that were in the EX that we ended up buying. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, as Dan said, it's, it's a lot of style. It's yeah. you're, you're buying, you're buying style and you're buying that V6 engine. You know, but but overall, I thought it was, you know, it, again, it was super fun to drive. Yeah, well, and you get all the charms that make the Camry the Camry. You need a decent trunk and room for people and. Yeah, I mean, the Camry is, you know, it's a it's a classic. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's a it's a very, very good car overall. It this just added that level of excitement and driving dynamics that you're not going to find in a four cylinder. All right, so Sam, what were you driving? All right, so um, I had um, I had a couple of vehicles um, since we uh, uh, we left one off last week because we were running long, <clears throat> which is the uh, the Nissan Titan, the 2021 Nissan Titan. I had the the Pro 4X 4x4 Crew Cab uh, Titan, and a couple of, you know what year and a half ago I guess Nissan did a refresh on the Titan. They yep. they tweaked the the front end styling and they did some upgrades to the interior. They dropped the the XD with the diesel engine, uh, so now there's just one engine, one powertrain option, which is the 5.6 liter V8, which is a great engine. You know, 400 horsepower, 4.413 foot pounds of torque, so it's got plenty of plenty of power. You know, for a full size truck, um, and you know the the Pro 4X, you know, is kind of the off road version, you know, with big all terrain tires and um, you know, four wheel drive, locking diffs and, and all that, all that good stuff, low four wheel drive, low range. Um, the Titan's a good truck. 
you know, I will, I'll give it that, you know, I'll acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's way better than the first generation Titan was. Which is um, also you know, an okay it, truck. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, it's got good driving dynamics, you know, it looks decent. Um, you know, it's got lots of features. Uh, it starts, the uh, the base rear wheel drive King cab version starts at about a little over 36 grand. Um, this pro four X was almost $61,000. You know, it had the the roll bar on the back, and it had you know all kinds of other goodies. Um, you know, it had the tie down cleats in the in the bed, um, the park assist uh, system, the Fender Premium Audio. It, it was good, you know, <laughs> I, not like, exceptional, yeah, but good. That like sixty one k doesn't seem out of bounds for no, it, it doesn't. Pickups, but so. you know, I mean, for that kind of money, you know. Would I buy a Titan or like an F-150 Tremor or uh, a Ram 1500 Rebel? Mm, I probably would probably not, not choose the the the, uh, the Titan uh, out of that group. Yeah, or or the um, well, so you know, Silverado like, Trail Boss. Yeah. Why Why would you not pick the Titan? Uh, I don't. It 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 didn't. Um, it just didn't feel as as good. You know. Um, you know, the interior, while it's upgraded, it still didn't feel quite as nice. You know, the, the screen, you know, I've had my complaints about Nissan screens. This was better than most of the, the screens in Nissans, but, you know, it was, it was it was fine, but not great. You know, it just, the other trucks just seem, they, they feel, the, the user experience in them, the you know, the, it, the way they look and feel just feels better, um, you know. You know, they feel a little quicker off the line um, and and also they're oftentimes more efficient. Um, this thing averaged about 14 miles per gallon. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's, it's, I it's, think that's the same issue that I had with the, the Tundra, right? It's like, you yeah. Get it's, off yeah it's, the very 80s of them. It's, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's, it's, rate, it's rated at 17 combined. Um, I got 14 out of it. Yikes. You know, which is not, you know, and I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, drag racing the thing or anything. I was just driving it normally, and mm. it just didn't, you know, didn't f- get particularly good fuel economy. Um, you know, the the ride quality was was fine. You know, not great. the The audio system was was good. You know, it doesn't have things like, um, you know, on the F one fifties. You know, on the tailgate now you've got, uh, you know, things like the molded in rulers and the um, the um, uh, the clamp holes, you know, to put in C clamps, you know, to tie down, you know, for, you know, as a work surface, you know, you've got some of the, the newer trucks have some of these really, um, really well thought out features, which this one doesn't have, um, you know, and granted, you know, this one is like, five, I think five years into its life cycle now. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, at the point where, you know, most trucks would be getting a redesign now. And, you know, when this came out in 2015 or six, 2016, I think, um, you know, most other trucks weren't offering those kinds of features. They are now. Um, and so, you know, if I, like, if I, comparing this to an F-150, I'd have a hard time choosing this over an F-150. And looking at the sales figures for this, <laughs> I think the same is true for most people, you yeah. know. I think Nissan sold about 23,000 Titans last year, you know, versus... Uh, you know, I think close to nine hundred thousand F series. I was gonna say that that's like less than a month of F series. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ford Ford sells about eighty thousand F series a month. I so this is. The I issue. mean, the thing is that 
Go ahead. Anytime that you're, anytime you're talking about a pickup truck and using words like fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's a such problem. a competitive, it's such a competitive segment. It is. You know, and the, you know, the leading trucks in this segment are so good now that you have to be better than fine. You, know, you it, do. It needs to be much more. And what was the price on this? Um, $60,640. Oh my. Yeah, and it's, so it starts at 50. So, and that's what I was going to say is that it, yeah, for it, the pro four X expensive. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can get, um, you know, a four wheel drive, um, you know, because they all, all the Titans have the same powertrain in them. So you can get uh, a four wheel drive crew cap for 40 grand, which yeah, is but the you one know, competitive. You were, but, right. But the one that you were driving, right. Is sixty thousand dollars and listen to the adjectives you were using to describe it. It's yeah. not okay. No, like that's it's the not. thing. Is that like it's, you, it's not enough? And as you mentioned, the other the other brands are putting in all these emotional solutions for people, and they're really making it very human centered design. You know, they're making it. How you sound just people, like Jim Hackett. Oh yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> but you know, but that idea of like of how is our buyer using this truck? Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And the, all those thoughtful details really do make a difference, especially in the pickup truck market. Well, I, so yeah, uh, I do think that with the pro four X, you know, those things that you get are the Bilstein suspension and the, I was having a lo electric locking differential in the rear that maybe the rest of them don't like it does. get yeah, They all, they all do in, in okay. the, these kind of off-road trucks. Um, so it, it's, it's outfitted that way. It's, so it's almost like the Titan analog of maybe like the trail boss or like you trail, the, the trail boss or the tremor or the yeah. rebel. It's that's the equivalent. Um, you know, the thing that I've really liked about the Titan, the last time I drove one was it's friendly. You know, it, it has, it's funny. It almost has, you know, car like steering feel and decent dynamics. And it just, it feels pretty good to drive. Yeah, well, and and you know, it always has. You know, I've all that's one thing I've I've always liked about the this generation of the Titan is it does have good driving dynamics, but so do the rest of the trucks in this segment. Yeah, well, and that yeah, that's the problem, right? It's the competition, yeah. and and I think too the the thing that we have to remember is those domestic brands, uh, Ford, GM and Ram have robust fleet programs mm -hmm. and they sell a lot of their volume is not trucks like this. It's not just consumers, you know, right. Uh, it's, and, and uh, I would say most of their volume is not consumers. Right. So uh, certainly, certainly with the super duties, but even, you know, even the light duty trucks like this, you know, uh, even at least a third of, if not more, of the volume of those trucks is <clears throat> is commercial customers, fleet customers. Yeah, and, and I don't think that so both Nissan and Toyota. I, I mean, I mean, honestly, to twenty thousand, like that's that's just not good. <laughs> but, yeah, but even the Tundra at like uh, I think it was what a hundred thousand or so a year. Uh, just I, they're not making money on that. Well, no. maybe they are because it's so old, but. It took them a while. You know, they're they're not a profit center like the F series is, and I guess they're just like they're they're a different thing. They have a presence, and 
it, it's I, I it's just harder for them to compete. I think they just don't have the the just the mind share. Even you know, I just, do you think about this truck when you think about pickups? If you were to to be to be honest, no, I don't. Right. Um. You know, and that's that's the problem. Uh. You know, I mean, it gets the basics right. You know, like yeah. the ride quality, the power, the performance, everything. You know, it gets that stuff right. But you know, that's that's table stakes to get into this segment. You've got to have that stuff. And, you know, all of the certainly, certainly, you know, all the, the domestic trucks get those things right. You know, so then, you know, how do you compete? You you have to have those other details. You got to get those deep, those, you know, those interesting details, you know, that make it more functional for customers. And that's where this one kind of lacks. You know, it just uh, I mean, and for, as you said, you know, I mean, they don't sell very many of them. So they, they clearly, you know, they can't afford to invest a huge amount in developing those details if they know that there's not going to be customers for them. So, you know, how do you, how do you move forward if you're not going to make that investment in, in those, those kinds of details? So that, that's, that's, that's the, the, the Titan pro four X, you know, I, you know, I like the Titan and the, it's numbers are like, it's competitive. Uh, it's just price wise. I feel like it's, you're just not going to get the deal that you're going to get yeah. on someone else. So, all right. So the other thing I had was the uh, the 2021 Cadillac Escalade, um, which <laughs> you know <laughs> this thing's just a beast. I, you know? I laugh we, because it's just like that is all the screen. Yeah. Well, and in, no, in in the in the notes you have Cadillac Escalade Sport. Yes. So uh, you know a couple <laughs> it of years like ago, a misnomer. <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, you know Cadillac you know changed their you know their marketing you know their their um, trim strategy for all their models. And, you know, with the introduction of the new, the 21 Escalade, the, the redesigned Escalade, you know, it adopted this same, this Y strategy. So they have, you know, the base uh, premium, um, the, the, the base, the premium, uh, or sorry, premium is the base model and then right. premium Lux premium and luxury, Sport. Yeah. It's very and the premium Lux and Sport are priced the same. Yeah, you know, and it's you know one has a sportier look and feel to it, and the other one has a more luxury feel to it. Oh, okay. And and the sport, uh, the Escalade Sport I had, you know, had, definitely had the, you know, looked like a Star Wars stormtrooper. You know, it was the <laughs> crystal white, um, you know, the crystal white tri coat, you know, which looked fabulous uh, for a white. Um, and then the grill and all the trim and the wheels and the retractable running boards, all that was in black. You know, so it. Yeah. Nice. Looked looked kind of uh, sinister um, for you know, or as sinister as a white vehicle, a big white vehicle can be. Uh, but you know, and I think I think you had it before, Dan. We talked about it, you know, and we've talked about the uh, the Yukon Denali. I had that, in, I think in December. Um, they're you know they're they're these new GM SUVs are really well executed. You know, they finally adopted an independent rear suspension. They've got great ride quality. The uh, the Escalade I had had the Magna Ride suspension, uh, or the Magna Ride dampers. You know, so it provides a great balance of ride quality and, and handling and body control. Um, you know, when you're driving down the road, you know, on, on rough pavement, uh, you know, it does such a good job of the body control. You don't get any of that shake back and forth. You know, the head the head shake, um, and you know, this thing is, you know, the, the interior is fabulous on this, the displays, you know, we've talked about this before. It's got, 
three OLED displays, you know, spanning 37 inches across. So there's a touchscreen display, small touchscreen on the left-hand side by the A-pillar where you can switch back and forth some, some different modes and control the HUD and switch between uh, the normal instrument cluster and the augmented reality instrument cluster, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, on the, on the right-hand side, you've got the big, um, uh, touch, you know, center touch screen, uh, for the infotainment and then a big digital instrument cluster right in front of you. And the, the digital instrument cluster, one of the modes you can have on there, you can switch from, you know, replicating analog gauges to what they call their augmented reality display. And this is kind of a precursor to what's coming next year on the Lyric, where when you switch it to the augmented reality display, um, what it does is it shows you the view from the front camera that's up in the windshield that's normally used for the lane keeping system. And then it overlays that, you know, when you're using navigation, uh, it'll overlay that with, um, you know, the navigation prompts showing you like on the view, you know, so as you're approaching and I'm, I'm running a video that um, on, on my screen, on my background right now that, uh, that, that you guys can see, <clears throat> but um, it, as you approach an intersection where you're supposed to make a turn, you'll see an arrow that appears to be floating over the intersection, you know, exactly where you're supposed to turn. As you get closer, it gets bigger and bigger, things like that. Um, this is in principle, I think a really cool idea. And when they do it as a heads up display next year on the lyric, I think it'll actually be great because it'll, it'll over, you know, it'll overlay, you know, right. It'll look like it's right on the road where you see the turn prompts. Um, and it'll be, you know, where you're actually looking, which is at the road. The problem with this is it's down in the instrument cluster to see it. You have to be looking down instead of at the road, which is not a good thing. You know, you Bad don't, idea. you should, you should not be looking at <laughs> yeah, that, you know, except for glancing at it to see, you know, how fast you're going. Um, it's, it's a really cool feature. But I think that they probably should have just waited until they have the AR heads-up display available, uh, which, as I said, is coming next year on the, the, the Lyric Electric uh, crossover. And I suspect that you know they will add it to the Escalade next year as well. Um, it reminds me of, isn't it Honda that has that lane assist thing that shows up in the side mirror yeah um, and, yeah it shows up in the center the center touchscreen yeah right but then, but but and it was just it was more distracting than anything yeah, yeah. that's how i felt yeah. about it too i think and I, I remember commenting about the ar display was like it's an interesting idea but it is it's distracting because of where it is and if they yeah. put right. it in the hud i think it's going to be a lot more useful it just that requires either a larger hud or they're just they're not there in the Escalade yet. Um, but otherwise though, we've, we've expended a lot of commentary about screens on this podcast. How did you feel overall about just the amount of screen and how functional it was in the Escalade, you know, cause it stretches all the way from the, the a pillar over to the, the other side of the center stack. Like there's a lot of screen in there. Yeah. So the, the, the small screen on the left by the a pillar, um, you basically not really using that except just to switch modes in the instrument cluster and, and the heads up display. So most of the time you're never even going to touch that. <clears throat> the, the, the instrument cluster display is actually similar in size to most, you know, modern instrument cluster, digital instrument clusters. And, you know, when it's in its normal, 
um, normal mode, you know, displaying the instruments, then it's, you know, it's great. It, it looks fabulous. You know, the OLED displays, you know, have really high contrast. They look really good, really sharp. They're very high resolution. And then, you know, the center touchscreen, uh, you know, the infotainment display, um, again, you know, it's, I think it's like 16 inches or 17 inches. Uh, so it's a nice big display. It, again, it looks fabulous. Um, and, you know, the, the UI, you know, the current generation of Cadillac's user interface for their infotainment is quite good. Um, and, you know, I like that it also has the, you can use it as a touchscreen, Rebecca, for, you know, those people who like touchscreen. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, but there's also a center controller, like an iDrive style controller, which, um, you know, has, you know, full jog functionality. So you can twist it, but you can also, you know, go forward, left, left and right, forward and back. Um, and push down to select stuff. And I actually preferred using that because that center touchscreen is actually kind of a reach because it's up, you know, it's all mounted up high on the dash. So it's close to your line of sight. And it's actually a bit of a reach uh, to, to get to that. Uh, so I actually preferred uh, using that, using the center controller for that. Hmm. Um, I like having options though. Yeah, no. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm glad there are options. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it, I think it, it looks great. Um, you know, it's really well done. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a fabulous, it's a really fabulous interior, you know, <clears throat> and it's, it's, it's the kind of interior I would expect in an SUV that costs $112,000. Oh, yours is more expensive than mine. Mine was 109. Yeah. Well, yeah. this was, this was the sport <laughs> platinum. Um, and you know, the, the other thing, you know, but it has a like, cooler in it. It does have a cooler in it. Yes, I yes. liked that. I thought that was cool. No <laughs> pun intended. Um, um, it, it, it definitely the, feels like a vehicle. You, I, I just wanted to point it, point it west and keep going until it hit the ocean. It was yeah. just that kind of car. Uh, the you know, the one I had was equipped with the six point two liter V eight. So you have just two 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 engine options in the Escalade this year. The six two V eight, which is nice, powerful, you know, small block V eight, mm -hmm. great great engine. Or the three-liter inline six diesel, and um, interestingly, you know, when you go through the build and price, they're they're both the same price. There's no there's no there's no price premium for either engine. So for the same price, you just pick whichever engine you want. It's the same price. I'd really Do like we to know try what the take rates are. Um, I would guess it's probably five percent. Yeah, maybe diesel. maybe ten percent for the diesel. Yeah. Um, probably actually it, it might actually be a little bit higher for the Escalade. Um, you know, because, you know, I think, I think a fair number of people, you know, do tow with Escalades. Um, and the, you know, that diesel is such a nice engine. You know, I drove yeah. it last year in the, in the Sierra. It's a fantastic engine. Well, and, you know, it has the same exact, I think it's torque is the same as the six, two, the six, two is yeah. 460 pound feet of torque. The diesel and, is also 460 pounds. And, and, it, and it's a hell of a lot more fuel efficient. Right. And I, think um, I, I got 14 like, miles per gallon also with the Escalade. <laughs> yeah. It's but I, I just get beaten the hell out of that thing on every, um, every on-ramp. Cause that V8 sounds so good. It does. Um, <laughs> it does sound great. Uh, the, uh, the diesel gets, I think it's supposed to get like 28 on the highway, which is yeah. pretty good versus I think 20. For the, yeah, um, I, I got, I got, I think I got something like 24 or 25 when I drove it in the Sierra last year. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that the same one that's in the Suburban that I just mm -hmm. had? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's I had a three that liter in line. Like Christmas. Yeah. That was, that was what, what impressed me about 
that diesel was how quiet it was inside the vehicle, even really outside, but inside as well. Like this is not your grandpa's diesel. Like no, that's <laughs> very smooth. Yeah. Um, and if you like diesels, you know, get one now because a few years from now, you probably won't be able to buy one anymore. That and supercharged V8s. Now you're not yes. going to be able to get them. So get them now. <laughs> so, so, and you, you know, the thing that I realized too, was this 6.2 has, um, it, it has cylinder deactivation with dynamic skip mm-hmm. fire and all that stuff. Totally seamless. You have the only way you could tell that it was doing anything was listening very carefully for the exhaust note that, that, you know, the, the first MDS systems or, or, you know, um, displacement on demand or whatever, whatever was cylinder yeah. deactivation. It was, it was pretty smooth, but a lot more noticeable that, and it would just drop down to four cylinders and it was only the same four cylinders all the time. Like this, it can move it around. This, yeah. And, this, this can shut off any of the eight cylinders, you know, up, up to six of the eight yeah, cylinders. It is. And, awesome. and the thing is it's, it's constantly juggling around, you know, which ones are off. So it's not the same six all the time or four or two uh, that it's turning off. So it, you know, even if it's only, if it, even if it's running on six cylinders, only turning off two, you know, it'll be constantly switching, which, which two is turning off so that it's, it's not disrupting the balance or is minimizing the disruption of the balance and the, and the sound. Yeah, it sure works. It, it, mm-hmm. it's good, good stuff. Yep. <laughs> it is good stuff. Um, <laughs> all right. This past Thursday, Mark Royce, uh, president of GM did a, um, an interview with David Ignatius on Washington post live talking about EVs. And one of the first things he talked about was this new partnership with a company in your neck of the woods, Dan, uh, called uh, SES. Uh, They were formerly known as Solid Energy Systems. And they're working on lithium metal solid state batteries. Um, So just a quick primer, you know, the basics of a battery, you've got two electrodes, a positive and negative electrode, a separator in between so they don't touch because you don't want your positive and negative electrodes touching each other ever. It's a short circuit. Because bad things <laughs> happen. Touching. That is, that is <laughs> yeah, that's right. No touching because bad, bad things happen. <laughs> no touching. Um, Leave and room then, for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. And then it's all flooded with an electrolyte. Um, and the... But so you know, hang on. When, hang on a second. Like, that's a battery. Like, that's right. just a Yeah, that's a, that's a basic... That's the basics of a battery. Any right. battery. Um, so what makes them solid state? So the electrolyte in batter, most batteries today is either a liquid or a polymer gel. And it's, it's an organic liquid. You know, and so it's got uh, carbon and, and oxygen in it. And the problem with that is if you do have a short circuit in your battery in your cell and that you get some, some contact, some touching between the positive and negative electrodes, uh, that generates heat. That heat causes the the uh, electrolyte to um, give off oxygen. And um, if that heat gets out of control and starts a fire, that that electrolyte is giving off oxygen that feeds the fire. You know, normally when you have a fire, like if you know if you have you know if you have some grease catch fire in a pan on your stove, if you put a lid on it. It'll consume the oxygen that's in there and then extinguish. You don't yeah. want to put water or, on a grease fire, the same as you yeah, don't want to put water yeah, on a battery. De- definitely fire. don't. Yeah, definitely <laughs> don't do that. Or you know, anytime, anytime you know, if you put, you know, take a fire extinguisher, you put, you know, put water on it, whatever, on any kind of fire, the you know that smothering of fire is is preventing it from getting oxygen from the air. Well, the problem with a battery 
the, those, those liquid electrolytes actually produce their own oxygen. So even if you smother the battery, it's still going to have oxygen to feed the fire. That's why it's so hard to put out battery fires. They often, it often takes hours to extinguish a battery fire. So a solid state battery actually uh, replaces that liquid electrolyte with a solid material. And it's usually some kind of ceramic material. So when they manufacture it, they put in like a slurry or something, you know, something liquid, but then it solidifies and it basically becomes a big block. Um, and then that won't give off oxygen. And it, it helps to prevent the, um, the uh, you know, any short circuiting, things like that. So it should be safer. And in the case of, you know, what's being claimed by companies like SES and QuantumScape, which has an investment from Volkswagen, they're claiming, you know, double the energy density as well because they're lithium, what they call lithium metal. And so most lithium ion batteries today have an energy density about 250 watt hours per kilogram. SES is claiming four to 500 watt hours. So double. The great thing about that, if you can double the amount of energy that's in a given weight or volume of a battery, you can have, you can take the same capacity we have today, like that bolt you've got, Dan, as a 65 kilowatt hour battery, you could make that battery half the weight and half the size. Or the same size and twice the capacity. Or yes. So you could either double the range of the car or you could reduce, you know, keep the same capacity, you know, because 250 miles is enough for most people and reduce the weight. And that makes it um, more efficient, you know, because you're not hauling around as much weight. Or, you know, if you want to keep, you know, keep the same range, um, you actually can. Um, or, or yeah, you can you can um, reduce the size you know, reduce the size of it, and get you know get more range out of it. So there's all kinds of different combinations you could do, but it, it's going to make EVs both more functional and uh, more affordable, uh, presumably, if they can actually figure out how to manufacture these things, which is the thing that you nobody's know, done yet. They just have to put like a halon system on them too, so that they can just smother those those fires that's all well you, that, but if you have a solid state battery you won't need to worry about that yeah you won't need the halon and but so part of the announcement that they made gm actually invest gm ventures invested in ses back in 2015 and they've been working on this stuff and now they're going to build uh, a prototype uh production plant in massachusetts um not far from where you are and um that's going to start production prototype production in 2023 and you know GM has talked about starting to roll out lithium lithium metal cells as their next generation of their Altium batteries, starting sometime around 2025 or 2026. So this could be a, a big you know big boost for GM if they can actually get this stuff to work. And the same goes for Volkswagen with their partners at QuantumScape. And Toyota is also working on this stuff. Yeah, so QuantumScape I, is the one that I keep hearing the yeah. most about. Like. Um, so I guarantee you they're not going to – they won't do full-scale manufacturing in Massachusetts because that's no, no. not – No, no. When they get – when they start to do full-scale manufacturing, the, the battery plants will be closer to where the car assembly plants are. Yeah. But it's – anybody reading the press release, it's Woburn. It's not Woburn. It's Woburn. <laughs> okay? You got to say it right. Um, it's, a, it's a good place right off of 128. What do you think in terms of getting these cells like out in production cars? Like is it – Two years, five years. What's the? I would say probably ten. Um, five, five, at least five to six years. Yeah, minimum. Um, we may see some low volume stuff, you know, in the next couple of years, but 
for the most part, it's going to be five or six years at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, GM has made a big investment. Uh, hopefully this plays out better than some of their other investments. Like we just watched like Nicola and, um, uh, Lordstown Motors. Motors. It seems like GM is sort of stumbled around and, and like, they're like, um, sideshow Bob stepping on rakes. Uh, just smacking yeah. themselves in the face. Every well, I think then. everyone is. I mean, you know what? There's battery technology hadn't changed in decades. And then all of a sudden in the last 10 years, we've seen tremendous changes. Yeah. So I think everyone is sort of throwing spaghetti at the wall. That's true. I mean, honestly, like even now there's still really, they're not that far off from like what Volta was doing in like 1800 something. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not it's not fundamentally different from the original batteries. You know, the, right. the, at at a conceptual level, they've changed the materials and the chemistry. So you know, it's got a lot more density than it did, and you know, they they last longer than they did. But it's still conceptually the same as what we've had for you know 150 years. One more thing I want to mention about batteries. So we've been talking about EVs a lot, you know, and how, you know, California said by 2035, they want to ban the sale of new internal combustion engines, go EV only. I think Massachusetts plans to follow suit and probably a bunch of other states will. And and other countries are doing this too. One of the challenges with doing that though, is we currently don't have anywhere near enough battery production capacity. Right now in the United States, um, we have roughly somewhere around 40 gigawatt hours of annual battery production capacity. Um, and that's enough for, I don't know, about 400, um, four, four to 500,000 cars a year. Um, and most of that right now is with Tesla at their plant in, in Nevada. Uh, and then LG Chem has a plant here in West Michigan that has about five kilowatt hours or, or five gigawatt hours. But, you know, at the pace we're at, you know, up to 2019 when we were selling 17 million cars a year. If we converted all of those over to electric, we would need about one and a half terawatt hours a year of battery production capacity to meet, to meet that demand. And that um, that's about 40 times as much production capacity as we have today. So we need a lot more battery plants if we're going to do that. And LG announced on Thursday that they are going to invest Four and a half billion dollars in additional uh, cell production capacity here in the U.S. between now and 2025. Uh, they're expanding their Michigan plant and they're building two other plants, and that's in addition to their joint venture with GM. So they're they're adding another 70 gigawatt hours of annual production capacity on top of what they're doing with GM with their joint venture with Altium Cells, which has one plant under construction now, and they're planning on a second plant as well. So we're making some progress. There's going to be a lot more batteries coming over the next several years. And other, other battery manufacturers are also uh, SK innovations, building two plants in Georgia right now. Um, we'll probably see Panasonic add more capacity. Um, Tesla is definitely going to do more. They're going to start doing their own and um, Ford and, and even Stellantis have talked about building their own cells. So uh, we'll see a lot more. We're going to, we're going to have to have a lot more battery production capacity if we want to, make everything electric well you know is um is gm trying to position themselves as a supplier too like is that why they're adding um not right now they're they're just trying to meet their own demand you know because they they have plans to sell a lot of evs and they're not i mean they have said that you know at some point in the future they could sell 
sells to other companies. But right now they're, they're just, they're just trying to meet their own demand, their own internal demand. Yeah. And God knows what Stellantis is going to do. They, <laughs> well, um, on Monday of this week, uh, in an interview, uh, Carlos Tavares, um, you know, said that they're going to be accelerating their, um, their EV production. And, uh, they're even look, they're looking at, uh, adding their own cell production capacity. I think one of the things that Stellantis really dearly wants to do is stop paying Tesla for anything. Yeah. Which well, um, I, I was just, I just saw some uh, sales figures for Europe earlier today. Um, and in uh, January, uh, the uh, top, top manufacturer, top sellers of EVs, Volkswagen was Volkswagen group was number one. Stellantis was number two for EV sales in Europe. Because Peugeot actually has quite a few EVs that they're selling now, and and Tesla was way down the list. They had like three and a half percent market share. When they start to produce all these batteries as well, the things that they're producing them out of are not necessarily the greenest either. So, are we going to wind up in in critical shortages of like just a different raw material, or you know, everybody's trying? To uh, that things. that is a distinct possibility, and that's why you know everybody is scrambling to try to develop um, batteries that don't use any cobalt and eventually no nickel either. So <clears throat> they're trying to trying to use more of materials that are more readily available and, and cheaper uh, like aluminum um, and manganese. Yeah. I, there was a company here in another company here in Massachusetts and this was like storage scale batteries. So big. Mm-hmm. And I, I they, they were calling colloquially the, the dirt battery it's basically it's like if you want it to be as cheap as dirt make it out of dirt but it's i don't i don't think that's anything that scales down but it's um trying to basically use the cheapest materials possible. well and and that's you know that's the thing you know for um you know for stationary storage applications weight isn't a problem right you know and and den- energy density isn't really a problem you know for a mobile thing like a car you want to have, you know, as much energy density as you can, you know, to keep the weight and the, the size down. But for something that's not moving anywhere, you can use stuff like uh, iron phosphate, which has, you know, about half the energy density of, you know, nickel metal, nickel manganese cobalt cell, but it's a lot cheaper, you know, but it doesn't matter because it's not moving anywhere. Yeah. And unless it's getting stolen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, All right. it, this is how, this is how it gets done though. This is, I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, where we wind up in two to five years with battery technology. Speaking of lots of mass and things that move, <laughs> the 2022 Jeep Wagoneer was finally introduced a while back. They introduced the, I guess it was the concept that basically yeah, was, it was in like vehicle. October of last year. Yeah. Um, when I was super excited for it and then when you saw it, it was different than I thought it would be. And now the production version is essentially the, the concept with less G whiz technology, still really nice. But um, Rebecca, you live in a rich town. <laughs> Do you think anybody there is going to pay? I live in a over diverse town. A diverse town. Uh, yes. They have a diverse. There's, there's, there's ridiculously wealthy and then yeah. slightly less wealthy. Right. Uh, I will have, you know, that we just passed an ordinance dealing with blight in Greenwich. 
blight. I have no idea where there's blight in Greenwich, but we have an ordinance. Well, they just now. want to make sure that you never have any. <laughs> right, they want to make sure. Being proactive. You can't come in here if you're blight. Like, you know, we wouldn't let the train stop here so that the train people could get off. Anyway. <laughs> um, but the, so do you think anybody in that, that area is going to be okay with spending a hundred plus thousand dollars on a Jeep Wagoneer? Because this is the thing that I've seen as like a headline, like Jeep thinks it can get this kind of money from, from this vehicle. And I'm like, kind of like, well, I think they're not going to have a problem, but maybe it's just where I'm from. But like, I, 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 cause I also live in a rich area. And I, I was going to say, I you mean, live in a rich area too. I, I live outside of a rich area. Let's be clear. I, I think, <laughs> you know, I think the, there's a couple things. What's kind of fun about this is, you know, the, the Jeep Wrangler is, Busboys and billionaires, right? right? You never know who's going to be driving. And they're one. always spending a lot of money to like customize that one. Like the, the oh, they are the absolutely. But Jeeps in general are seen as in a very, very positive light. You know, it's one of the few brands that doesn't have a quote target market or or a, a well defined customer because from a demographic standpoint, because there's so many different people that buy them. So I like the fact that they have this in their showroom. They had to do something bigger than the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Like that is, you know, it's a nice size vehicle, but they had to they had to get a bigger vehicle in there. The pricing is certainly, you know, very very high. Um, but well, that's for the Grand Wagoneer, but well, the, you know, because they also have ones that are going to start at, you know, it's going to range from forty thousand dollars for a base Wagoneer. All the way up to yeah, so for sure. I mean, I was going to say though, you've got Jeep Wranglers that are fifty five, right. sixty, sixty five thousand. We were just talking about an Escalade; it's one hundred and twelve. Yeah. So yeah, so that that hundred thousand dollar mark, you know, is is no longer sacred. That used to be the quote exotics, right? It's not anymore. Yeah. Well, and I I suppose too, like. Um, why do we need to feel like it's presumptuous for a domestic brand? And especially Jeep is a premium domestic brand. No matter which Jeep vehicle it is, it's like that's that's a Chrysler premium or a Stellantis premium line. <laughs> uh, you know, like that has some cachet no matter which vehicle that that logo yeah. is on. Um, it's 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 no no longer like it, why should it be a bad thing for a brand like a hometown team to have a vehicle that is in that that echelon right like i think that's actually good well and if you're looking at domestic brand prices i mean look no further than the pickup trucks right and how much people spend on, on their pickup trucks you know so i think that there's real opportunity here i i can't say that like when I look at the styling, yeah, I was gonna say, what do you think of the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer? Like, I, I wish it had a little bit more jeepness to it. Like, I don't know. I it, and I guess some, I I'll have to see it in person again. I did get to the preview this past fall as well, but the front grill, I want it to be. It doesn't scream Jeep to me. It you know it's. It's all. It almost looks like a Lincoln, a Lincoln Navigator. Okay. Like I don't know. I just. I, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, they've done a new interpretation of the classic seven slot seven grill. Seven slot, right? It's, it's right. shorter and wider. Yeah, and they have the same thing on Are the new Grand Cherokee. No, I'm sorry, well. I <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I mean, gravity happens when you get older. You know. 
you know, your 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 vertebrae compress. You get osteoporosis that goes. So yeah. I want to go to the moon. I just want to be five three for like a day. But anyway, so I think I just think I don't know. I can they sell these? Absolutely. I is it athletic enough? Like it again? Like I don't know that it looks like a jeep enough. Yeah, but I could just be cranky. Well, I you know, I mean, I I hear you. I especially as I was watching some of the running footage, and it looks weird in motion. But I think part of it is like it's a new thing, so we're gonna have to get used to it. It, it right. Everybody has their. I think the most trouble with the rear and rear three quarter view, where it just looks tall and I I don't know, kind of just not jeepy enough. But it, it's a new thing, and I remember how sort of offended everybody was by the the Cherokee when they reintroduced that and and it was different and now it blends right in you know it it, it looks good it's kind of a a long term like looking down the road vision where like what's going to look good still in five years and not be derivative and I think they did right. a really good job there um, I, I, I do want to ha- I want to wait to like, see it in person and see it moving around but it, it to me it kind of like it looked like a Jeep SUV superimposed over um, a Ram 1500. And I think that's just me mentally doing that and going, you know, how does the Ram move and how does this styling sort of fit with, uh, with that? It's a weird mental exercise, but it, I don't know. I want to see it in the wild. I will say the interior is spectacular. I love the interior. I What I saw this past uh, fall. And and I'm amazed they actually are offering the passenger side uh, screen on the dashboard. Oh, wow. Oh, that, wow. That's, an, that's available as an option on the, the high-end um, Grand Wagoneers. Well, you know, they have like so, those, those filters like the um, all the lawyers uh, yeah. use in their offices, so you can't see it from unless you're directly on it. Yeah. So, yeah, so across across the front, I think, I think it said something like 58 inches of display. There's, you know, you've got the instrument cluster, the big 12-inch center stack display and then another display on the over on the passenger side and then uh, a couple more displays you know if you get the in the back if you get the the rear seat entertainment um and then there's also uh, another touch screen another center touch screen in the second row you know in the high-end grand wagoneers you know to control your climate control for the yeah. for the back it's, it's just nuts i, how much I worry that it's this. a little too screeny with the the front hvac is also on a screen and I will have to. I, um, you know. The HVAC controls, I think, are actually physical controls below the screen. Oh, are they? Okay. I'm, st- I'm still just like paging through pictures because uh, it, it looks like there is a lot of glossy touch surfaces yeah. in the in the cabin. But it's beautifully designed. I'm sure it's going to be beautifully outfitted. I can't wait to actually get in one and try it out as a, uh, a fleet vehicle. Um, the other thing that. I don't want to get lost either is Stellantis is going to offer level two driving assistance. I don't think anything they make has more than sort of basic ADAS right now. So that's, no, that's don't. new for, for anything in Stellantis's range. Yeah. Um, they're, they're offering at launch, they're going to have a level two hands-on system. So it's kind of like what you get with Nissan's pro pilot assist and Ford's co-pilot 360. Um, and then, and, and actually Tesla autopilot, which is also a hands-on system. Don't take your hands off the wheel. Um, <laughs> I thought you but, could nap. I thought it was a napping system. 
I was going to say hands on what? <laughs> hands on the steering wheel. Hands over your eyes. Uh, uh, and uh, and then uh, the uh, next, uh, I think next year or so, sometime after launch, they're going to have they're going to start offering a hands free system, um, which may or may not be a level three system, but it's definitely going to be a hands free system, kind of like what you've got with Super Cruise um, that lets you take your hands off the wheel. Um, and that, that'll be available probably sometime early 2022. Mm. And fire TV. That was the other big thing. Yeah. Amazon fire TV. <laughs> like, no, I think it's a really handsome vehicle. I think it's, they have to do it to expand the range. And, you know, from what I saw, I think it's, it's really, really cool. And I do think that it will draw people. It, it's a little bit like when Porsche came out with the Cayenne, how many people had, a 911 and then a different branded SUV in the driveway. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah. but everyone, they wanted a, they wanted a two, two Porsche garage. I think that there's a lot of people that have a seven seat or, you know, or, or a large SUV with their Jeep Wrangler and maybe they'll want a two Jeep garage. The Grand Wagoneer offers you that option of the full-size SUV that you didn't, and the Wagoneer, too. I, it's funny how there's – I'm just going to call it the Grand Wagoneer. <laughs> um, but it just it gives you that option. That the you, Wagoneer family. You don't have the largest thing you could get previously, and it wouldn't even be a Jeep. If you wanted three rows in the same basic hardware, you're looking at a Durango. And so now you've got the, the Grand Cherokee L, which is going to give you three rows in that form factor. And now the Grand Wagoneer, which is larger, frame-based, you know, it, it's it's more of that traditional SUV, so you don't have to go defecting over to a Suburban or an Expedition. You can stay right in the family. And it's it's going to be nicer. It's probably going to have a higher profit margin than those because that's the Jeep thing. Um, only the Hemi. I know that it's got the... Uh, well, yeah, they're, the they're launching with the two Hemis, the 5.7 and the 6.4. Six, and then... Um, Sometime after launch, by the end of the year, they will add plug-in hybrid as well. Yeah, that's the that's the one, and and the more electrification FCA, or Stellantis. I'm gonna screw that up for the next year and a half. <laughs> the more electrification they can do, the better they're gonna be because they're they're yeah they this just just big and <laughs> I don't expect it with the 5.7 even with e-torque to get very good fuel economy. So. <coughs> Anyway, that's cool. enough of that. Um, so- yeah, I, I, I just dropped a picture in the chat of the interior. There is a, a row of physical switches below the, the touchscreen for the climate control. Okay. Good. Yeah, I see that now. All right. Good. I'm glad. We've, we've got a question from a new listener. His name's Adam Jackowenko, who I don't oh. think has ever written to us before. <laughs> Adam. All right. Um, let's see what he has to say. Uh, says, hey, crew, I had a feeling you missed me when I didn't email for a whole full episode, so I'm back. Uh, now, now that I've just completed my thing. Hey, Adam, Adam I think you need to come on as a guest. As a guest Absolutely. Um, now that I've just completed my car, uh, my recent car buying journey, uh, it got me thinking about how every vehicle has some pros and some cons. There is some. Uh, there's no one car that has everything one person could want. So I thought it'd be fun to ask you all if you could build a brand new Franken car that'd have every modern feature that you valued uh, the most, what would be in it? For the purposes of this exercise, I'm just thinking of modern tech, conveniences, quirks, and features, uh, thanks to Doug DeMuro, et cetera. 
which features um, which features from which manufacturers would you love to pour into one magical unicorn car? Mine or below. Have fun. <clears throat> uh, the Hyundai Kia blind spot cameras in the gauge cluster. Uh, Nissan's zero gravity seats. So comfortable. GMC's heated seat backs. Volvo's built-in Google Maps. Uh, rear view camera from GM cars. Uh, that, I guess that's the, the camera mirror system. Um, the panoramic roof, like a Tesla or a Mach-E. Uh, Audi's satellite radio preview. It shows you what artist, song, or conversation topic is on each channel without you having to do it, go to it first. Um, and Volvo's B&O sound system. Tesla's sentry mode. Hyundai's smart park. And the Toyota Venza's magic sky roof, which seems like it might be a conflict with the, uh, the panoramic <laughs> roof. But anyway... So what, what would you guys want in your Franken car? Mm. I have to think about this. I could go one of two ways. I could just, I, you know, be like, I want a Winnebago <laughs> that handles, <laughs> that, that just has, has all the comforts of home and still handles really well. Um, but that's, I think probably unrealistic. Uh, I think my, my tastes are more simple. If I think of an idealized car, I actually don't necessarily think of those th- those features. I think of something more elemental. So my idealized car is more like a, a, a Lotus Exige or something that's just you and the machine and it makes you concentrate. Um, I would like the sound deadening of like a rolls <laughs> in that car. You know, it's funny. Like, I don't like light pollution in the cabin at night. I, I don't. So I don't, you know, I don't like screens. I don't like even the little lights that like illuminate the control. It's like, no, make it so I can do what I feel. I like, I like switches, like hardware. Um, I like manual transmissions and not a whole lot else between me and the vehicle. So my tastes are pretty, pretty simple. I want a car that's mostly a motorcycle. <laughs> I like, so you want an aerial Adam. Yeah, I would be okay with an Adam except for winter. <laughs> that. I like the ones with the, uh, the bird's eye view camera system, you know, like where, yeah. the, like if you're parking, you can see the whole, I, I love that. I think that that's a really, really handy feature. And it's, it's funny when he mentions the Kia Hyundai blind spot camera, that's what I was talking about earlier was that it's in the gauge. It's in the, yeah. the cluster. It's not like the heads up display. I would love to have more things in the heads up display because as you said, Sam, like your eyes are supposed to be on the road, but this is a great question though. I'll have to think about, I, I want to think about some yeah, more. I want our other listeners to think about this too, because it's a tough one to answer kind of on the spot, but right. um there are a lot of great tech features and, and automakers do this, right? They look at what other companies are doing and they sort of incorporate the good into, and, and they interpret it in their own way, but they sort of pull it all into their own uh, lineups as well. Yeah. I mean, definitely the exhaust note from an Aston Martin. Yeah. All right. I'll take that. Yeah. That would, that would be a, that'd be probably my first pick. And um, yeah, no, it's really it's a great question, and 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 likewise, I would love to see some listener responses. Well, I I would I think what I would want is something like a Miata that has you know an electric drivetrain, state of the art batteries, so they're you know relatively light. Um, the uh, you know just a, a set of good Recaro seats, 
um, with, you know, no, you know, the only adjustability it needs is, you know, seat back angle and, and fore aft. Um, cause you know, they always seem to fit me perfectly for some reason. Um, and, uh, yeah. And that, you know, See? I don't need, I don't need any of taste. this, any of the other stuff, you know, I can get by without any of the other stuff. You know, I just, I would want, you know, something, something like a, a Miata, you know, with a 250 mile range electric. Oh, and the, the soundtrack from a GT 350. <laughs> I want I want the voodoo soundtrack. <laughs> nice. We are we are um pro, I guess we're we're true enthusiasts in some ways. We 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 get flustered when we start to talk about features. We're just like I just want a car that drives well. Um, yeah. But I, I, in terms of audio systems, I really like the ELS uh, surround systems in in uh, Acura's. Um, you know, I'm I'm starting to put that list together. So I think I'll, I'll have to come back to this. We should circle back to this next week, and maybe we can get some responses too. Um, All right. My first instinct is just to be like, give me something that I really enjoy driving so I don't care about any of the other stuff. Okay. Um, <laughs> one more question. Um, during a recent podcast, you guys discussed OTA updates. That's over-the-air updates. Um, I bought a 2021 Honda CRV a couple months ago, and it has wired Apple CarPlay. Salesman told me there was a possibility Honda would release a wireless Apple CarPlay update for my car at no charge. Have you guys heard anything about this? Do you have... Uh, any contacts within Honda who could answer as to whether the wireless Apple CarPlay feature will be added to my car. So, um, Ray, I did reach out to Honda. I haven't heard back yet. Um, but my guess is that the answer will be no, uh, because they have not actually changed the the head unit in the CRV for a couple of years. Uh, in fact, since the current generation came out um, and there are hardware differences uh, that are required with to go wireless with CarPlay or Android Auto, and I don't believe that Honda has added those to this. There are, there are some, um, you know, some of the the new newer Honda models, new Acura models are coming out with wireless CarPlay support, but I don't think that they're going to be able to add it with a software update uh, to to your CRV, unfortunately. But like I, ret- yeah, retroactively. Yeah, not 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 with just a software update. It's going right. to require a hardware change for that. Uh, but I will I will follow up with Honda on that to just to make sure. So that's it for questions. Um, Rebecca, did you have anything you wanted to add? So <laughs> after <laughs> just over two really fun filled years, this is sadly my last wheel bearings. Uh, podcast and I really I'm going to miss it because I've had so much fun I've had so much fun with the audience and watching it grow and gain in popularity and it's kind of hard to believe because so Sam when you first asked me I I know I think my first show was in January of 2019 I think so yeah and then I promptly went to India (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we we recorded a couple shows from there exactly which was so cool And, you know, I just, the audience has been fantastic and it's just been so fun. And Dan, someday we'll meet in person. Um, And, you know, I was thinking back to like when we would sit in the car at the auto show and talk. And so I've, I've actually accepted a new position. I, and so I can't continue with wheel bearings. Unfortunately, Um, I dragged it out as long as possible, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but I just wanted to say thank you to everyone because it really, really has been so much fun and I appreciate everybody's interaction and I'll still kind of keep up my Rebecca drives 
Twitter feed a little bit. Again, I'm sort of feeling out like what's a conflict and what I am and not allowed to do. My job will be announced, I think, uh, at the very beginning of April. Um, for more details, it's under embargo still right now. But um, again, I've just I've I've had such a great time. I think I did almost a hundred episodes. I couldn't remember exactly. Just, just where. about that, yeah. Just about, yes. And uh, so we'll have uh, we'll have some new people though. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the way we sort of expanded our knowledge with all of the unique uh, understanding of the world that you bring to it. You know, you certainly bring Thanks. a different perspective and, and a lot of different experience um, that, you know, what we were trying to do with wheel bearings in the first place was something that's not just two dudes talking about cars and chuckling at their own jokes, although we do yes. our fair share. Um <laughs> You know, having that understanding of, you know, we're trying to understand the cars, how they fit in the marketplace, who buys them and, and the sort of ups and downs of that. Um, so I, I appreciated the balance you brought to us. Um, so hopefully we'll talk again soon once you settle in and uh, we'll get regular updates from the Rebecca verse. Yes. Well, and I can be a special guest. That would be fantastic. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you are welcome back anytime you want. And Rebecca, I, I really sincerely want to thank you for, for joining us on this little adventure over the last couple of years. You know, you, as Dan said, you have been such a great addition to the show um, and you. You know, really providing um, you know, a, a very different perspective from the two of us, um, you know, both, you know, as a woman, but also, you know, just uh, based you know your your professional experience coming from a totally different point of view um you know which i think has been extremely valuable to hopefully making this show both more fun to listen to and and more informative well thank you and i've learned a ton i mean really you know what's interesting sam and i have known each other for quite a few years now um, but you know we don't get to talk technical and i'm not good at technical like that's what you're so good at and so I've just learned so much of, of what's behind the vehicle and the perspective and such. So I'm really going to miss everybody and please continue to listen. There's great things ahead for this podcast and it's just been really a privilege. So thank you. Yeah, just as we start to put some money in the bank. I <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm terrible with money anyway. That's why I need a lot of it. Yeah, no, we don't have any. <laughs> um, we're going to actually try to take some of that money and, and add to some, some, uh, writers. I put out a call a little while ago for some writers, um, so we can pay people a little bit, um, yes. and we'll give them some assignments and we'll see if we can get some content moving and try to get a snowball effect and build the wheel bearings empire. So, um, everybody gets to sort of become a along. true digital media company. Well, that's the thing is like, uh, I think that's part of our growth has been a little bit, uh, stumbly and scrappy, but. You know, you see all the podcasts that are now, they're funded by large corporations and we're trying to figure it out on our own and maintain all of that on our, our own and, and build a, build an actual media company. So it's it's been a little slow, but it's been really interesting to, to sort of play around and pull the levers and see what we can make happen. So uh, yeah, stick around. We'll have more news soon for a lot of different things, but uh, we're going to miss you. Thank We love you, you Rebecca. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you. All right, All right. That's, that's it for this that's week. Um, I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> uh, don't forget, uh, you know, if you like the show, you know, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or uh, even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, that's like the most popular place for 
reviews for podcasts. Yeah, so, so go leave a review there review. anyway. <laughs> um, and, uh, and cause it, it helps, it helps people find the show. Um, and, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to wheel bearings. Hey, we love to listen to our listeners too. Drop us an email to feedback at wheelbearings.media with your thoughts, questions, or conversation starters. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. You can also find us on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Don't use any vowels except for the A in cast. So that's W-H-L-B-R-N-G-S cast. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon.